Time marches on and leaves behind those who are not equipped for tomorrow. We cannot predict what will happen in the future, but we at Regent University aim to prepare you for it. With world-class professors and over 150 programs, the opportunities to find success in your field are many. So don't let tomorrow pass you by. The journey to your brightest future begins here. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. Time for Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. Dr. Chen is the pastor at Grace Church of the Bay Area, a church committed to glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ through verse-by-verse expository preaching to learn exactly what God has revealed in His Word. Now, here's Dr. Chen with today's message. This morning as we continue studying 1 Corinthians and we look at the concept of grace, these are the exact principles we will see. That grace, as Paul tells us or tells the Corinthians, is every day. And it's in everything. And it will continue on as we live for eternity in glory. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4-9, through 9, and we'll continue our study on the blessings of God, what that means and what grace means and how those two are interconnected in many ways the same thing and how this changes the Christian's perspective the moment they are saved from the daily rat race, the humdrum, boring repetitiveness of life to an exciting adventure after adventure. First Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4-9. through nine. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in Him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, through whom you were called into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Though in this life, believers are not lacking in any spiritual gift. Paul is not saying that the Corinthians or us have arrived. In fact, it is in the midst of this grace that we are, and I quote, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's introducing the proper eschatological or end times perspective known as already, not yet. I know it sounds silly. That's actually the the theological term. Already, not yet. In other words, our salvation is secure and forever. But in our timeline, in the timeline of God, you understand he lives outside of time. But in the space-time continuum, our salvation has begun. It is secured. We are justified. We are growing. We are being sanctified. But we are still in process and in the middle of a timeline that will not conclude until the end times, until glory. And what we are eagerly waiting for is the second coming of Jesus Christ. It's in this context that we are to use our gifts in the context of being in that process in the already but not yet, because glory is coming. 
in anticipation of the fulfillment of God's big picture plan, we are to be faithful and use His grace to represent Him, to serve Him. He says we are awaiting eagerly. Those two words are one word in the Greek. It's translated as wait, simply wait in the ESV and King James. And this Greek word speaks of an eager anticipation. It's to wait with a degree of earnestness and an intensity of expectation. But there's another important nuance to this Greek word. It's not just about eagerly anticipating and then you just kind of sit idly by, when's he coming, hurry up, on your phone, waiting for the bus. No. The word indicates eager anticipation with productive activity. That's what exactly what Paul is saying here. We eagerly wait, but we're active in that waiting. So remember, God has a plan, and you are in the middle of that plan. And what that means in the context of this passage is that we are not just to stand on the foundation of the grace of God as those who are enriched with speech and knowledge. Rather, we are to stand on our tiptoes, like a child looking out the window, eagerly anticipating the return of the king, when God will establish us as blameless on the day of the Lord. And that leads us to our sixth reality of the grace bestowed upon believers, the fulfillment of blessing. Look at verse 8. Who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will confirm us to the end, literally sustain us, establish us. This is a promise that these blessings will be ours until the day when sin is no longer within us. And this is accomplished by keeping us true in the faith, meaning ultimately that you cannot lose your salvation. But he also keeps us to the end through our daily forgiveness of sins. And it's fitting that Paul's talking about confirming us up until the time that no forgiveness is necessary because in those days, at that time, in that state, there will no longer be any sin. And though we do sin now, until the day we die or we are raptured, in the future day, Jesus will still, in spite of our sin, present us to the Father as blameless, guiltless in the ESV. It means irreproachable, unimpeachable, No charge can be laid against us. It's not because we haven't done anything wrong. It's because Christ has paid it all. Keep in mind that this is the day in which the entirety of our lives and service will be reviewed and assessed by God the Father. But no fault will be found, not because no fault was committed, but because in His grace, God paid it all. We will be judged, as Paul says, blameless, because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And even in the Corinthians, with all their failures and all their shortcomings, Paul has confidence that they will make it to the end and at that time be found guiltless. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 27. This is a passage that married Christian men know well. It's not the husband's part that I want you to focus on, but Christ. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, and here it is, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, 
having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. No spot or wrinkle. You think, I think about my own sin. He's being, being kind here. No spot or wrinkle. I have a giant glaring stain. I have permanent creases that cannot be ironed out. No spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but presented holy and blameless. Why? Because of the work of Jesus Christ. Because we have been called. Because we have been saved. Because we have been justified. Because we have been set apart. It's not that God doesn't know about our sin. We're even told that based on our faithfulness and our our hard attitude, there will be differences in reward for the Christian. No penalty, no damnation, but differences in reward. And so he sees that, he gauges that, he understands that, but we will be guiltless, irreproachable. Why? Again, not because he doesn't see the sins we have committed both pre- and post-conversion, but because the crimes have been paid for. Right? You can't just... You know, someone does his time, 20 years in prison, he's let free, the judge says you're free, and they say, nah, I just don't feel comfortable with that, I know what you did, pull him back in. No, it's done, it's paid for. It's not that we don't know what crimes he committed, it's a matter of public record. It's paid for. And it's the same thing with Christ, it's paid for. He sees the sin, it's just paid for, and that's why we are presented as holy and blameless. So again, we have the already, not yet. Okay? We still need daily to ask God for His forgiveness for the sins. It's already not yet. Justification by faith in this life is anticipation of the future verdict that will be pronounced on the day of the Lord. And the already not yet principle can be allegorized like this. Before Christ, we're outside in a freezing tundra. Our limbs, our fingers, our digits were at risk of frostbite being cut off, broken off, out there freezing to death in our sin. In God's grace and salvation and the the subsequent continuing blessings in this life that we're talking about, well, firstly, in salvation, God takes us out of that cold and brings us into a warm room. And in that warm room, that room of grace, that room of salvation, we start warming up. And slowly, our limbs are defrosting. We no longer feel the cold. But the cold still exists. We are merely in a room placed in the midst of that freezing world. The forces of heat and cold are still active. And even now in that room, even now in your place, in your spiritual walk, there are still some parts of your body that have yet to thaw out. But the forces of heat in that room are decisive in that they will never change. They are not the only forces at work. So for us, the decisive event has occurred. You have been brought into that warm room. You will never be kicked out. But the forces of cold still exist in this world. But the process has been set in motion And the fact that you have been brought into that warm room means that you are on your way to completion in a day where there will be no warm room because the entire world is warm 
and the forces of cold no longer exist. Already, not yet. We live in God's grace. We're being sanctified. But yet, as believers, we still sin. And there may be major limbs of our body that have not thought out yet. We are still struggling with addictions and sins we had before God saved us. We still struggle with those to some degree. And yet we know a day is coming and where we will not be in this warm room and where cold air surrounds us, but we will be in glory forever. Already, but not yet. We long for that day. We desire that day. But that's not enough. It's not enough to understand what's coming to the degree that our minds can comprehend it. It's not enough to just study the Scriptures, listen to my sermon. It's not enough even just to anticipate and hope for it. We must also live in light of that day. Not just live. Not just survive. Not just exist. But live, survive, and exist in light of that day, number seven, the reliability of blessing. The reliability of blessing. The beginning of verse nine, God is faithful. This makes everything secure. God is faithful. I don't know if they still do this, but do you remember at the end of a TV show, I remember growing up as a little kid watching cartoons or or whatever child programming. At the end of the show, they'd mention a sponsor, right? the company that paid for advertising to make the show possible, that maybe just paid for that little, their name to be mentioned, right? Today's program brought to you by Starkist Tuna, the tuna, blah, 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 right? Everything that we have looked at, the grace in salvation, the grace in your sanctification, and the grace in future eternity with Christ, sin-free, everything we've looked at regarding grace and blessing, All of it is brought to you by God's faithfulness. Everything hinges on God and His character. None of this would be encouraging. None of this would bring hope. None of this would bring confidence if God's faithfulness was not clearly clearly taught in Scripture. Isn't this the the issue with so many false religions and, and, and Christian cults that are based on the works of man? As a true Christian, I ask you, are you going to heaven? Amen. Yes. Hallelujah. See you there. You stand out outside all those other churches. Are you going to heaven? I hope so. If I'm good enough, we'll see. We'll see. When are you going to see? When it's too late to make any difference. Do you know how scary that is to live that way? We'll see. At the day when he tells me if I'm in heaven or hell. And there's no second chances. But then there's some churches that come up, well, oh, let's give them a second chance, right? Their relatives pray enough and give enough. There's like a holding place and then they can get... It's crazy. But why? Because we have no confidence in our own morality. We have no hope in, in, in our own excellence. And so we don't know. I hope so. But God is faithful. We know that. And so we know this is true. We know we are saved. And for those of us who struggle with doubting our salvation, it's not because you doubt if God can do it. You doubt your your own lack of fruit or if you ever made that profession of faith. 
Even in that, you understand that God is faithful. That word faithful means trustworthy, reliable, dependable, consistent. In his faithfulness, God cannot lie, nor can he rescind or go back on the promises he has made. And he has promised, once saved, always saved. He has promised, Jesus died for your sins. He has promised, once you are saved, you will be blessed and blessed and given grace and be able to represent him. So, because he is faithful, grace it is. Gifts there will be. Blameless judgment, as good as done. Because God is faithful. We've been looking at a little book in the men's group called Attributes of God by A.W. Pink. And he writes this on the uh, chapter on faithfulness. Unfaithfulness is one of the most outstanding sins of these evil days. In the business world, a man's word is, with exceedingly rare exceptions, no longer his bond. In the social world, marital infidelity abounds on every hand, the sacred bonds of wedlock being broken with as little disregard or with as little regard as the discarding of an old garment. In the ecclesiastical realm, thousands who have solemnly covenanted to preach the truth make no scruple to attack and deny it. Nor can reader or writer, he's talking about people reading his book and himself, the writer, nor can reader or writer co- claim complete immunity from this unfaithful, excuse me, nor can reader or writer claim complete immunity from this fearful sin. In how many ways have we been unfaithful to Christ and to the light and privilege which God has entrusted to us? So how refreshing, how unspeakably blessed to lift our eyes above this scene of ruin and behold one who is faithful, faithful in all things, faithful at all times. God is faithful. And so we know these things are true. And the faithfulness of God leads us, eighthly and finally, to fellowship with Christ, the eighth reality of the grace bestowed upon believers is the partnership of blessing. The partnership of blessing. And stick with me. I'll explain why I say partnership and not just fellowship. The end of verse 9. Through whom you were called into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Because of God's faithfulness, He has saved us into communal Communal participation with Christ. The word called speaks of an effective call. Not ju- it's not just an invitation, right? We kind of use that sometimes as an invitation. I called all the sheep in for dinner and only 20 of them came. I don't know why I just thought of that analogy. Very strange. But you get it. We just call. People don't answer the call. They don't respond to the call. That's not what it's talking about. It's an effective call. It's not just an invitation. And this particular calling was through the gospel. Okay, And so when Paul says, you were called into this, he's talking to believers that he called you and a response by God's grace was made. He's not just like, I called and no one responded. Okay, This is an effectual call. And what we were effectually called into was fellowship with the Son of God, Jesus Christ our Lord. Fellowship 
means partnership, oneness. It is the blending of two wills into one. And this took place at our conversion. All believers are in fellowship with Christ. Not just the experience of being together as Christians, but the status of being in Christ. Being shareholders in a sonship that is derived from the sonship of Christ. And this fellowship is not just a position, it's not just a title, but it is a relationship. So as a Christian, you are not merely in Christ, that is, freed from the guilt of sin, but also in fellowship with Christ, and thus commune with Him through the Holy Spirit. And this communion includes the consummation of our salvation in the last days. In other words, we are secured to that future glory, to that eternity with Him through the fellowship or being one with Christ. We are locked in. Try to think of the, the biggest, safest lock you can think of. The most secure safe. There's nothing more powerful than being locked in by the Holy Spirit, God Himself. And so, when we live through this life, you've heard the phrase, attitude is everything. And attitude is not about changing your circumstances, right? You know this. It's about your perspective on those circumstances. So is it just a job or is it God's grace? Is it just a disobedient daughter or is it God's grace? Is it another bland dinner or is it God's grace? Is it another paycheck in the bank or is it God's grace? And by definition, God's grace means you don't deserve it. Everything we do will change if we remember the reality of the grace bestowed upon believers. The source of blessing, God. The depth of blessing in all spiritual things. We are rich. The mission of blessing that we are here to proclaim and represent the truth of God. The confirmation of blessing, salvation. The anticipation of of blessing, the future day. The fulfillment of blessing, we will be there one day the reliability of blessing, all of this we know is true because God is faithful and the partnership of blessing. We are not just some puppet. We are not just some little toy, some project for Christ. We are one with him. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you are enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, through whom you were called into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the richness of your grace. 
it is often hard in the midst of our daily living to recognize that, to put in the long hours and look at our school debt. Father, if we've spent two hours over the last two weeks just unpacking what the word grace means, what a blessing is, Lord, we realize how far we fall short of truly embracing and understanding all the manifestations of your grace. May we trust in you. May we just remember the basic and big principles of our salvation. That we're saved by grace through faith. That we're saved because you are gracious. We are here because you are gracious. We know we're not going to hell because you are gracious. Despite our fears and our stuttering, you allow us to represent eternity-changing truth because of your grace. May we be reminded all of it is grace, and in the areas of our life that is grace, may you help each and every one of us evaluate how it is grace to count our blessings, to see your hand in everything. And may you grow us through that in our worship of you, in our service of you, love and service for each other. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. Grace to the Bay is the radio ministry of Grace Church of the Bay Area, practicing and proclaiming the purity of biblical truth. You're invited to join them for worship service in Burlingame, Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit the website gracebayarea.org for directions and other information or to view a live stream of the service. As a listener-supported program, we ask that you consider making a tax-deductible donation so that we can continue to share Pastor Rogers' teaching with you each week. Donations can be made through our website, kfax.com.